are just hard hitting, just deep digging questions. <laughs> Favorite running or trail running or workout song? Oh, song. You know, I don't listen to a whole lot of music when I run. Occasionally, I listen to this really awesome podcast. It's called The Big Ass Trail All right. <laughs> I love it. Hi, I'm Steve Saunders, and I'm a badass audio engineer up in Vancouver, Washington. Welcome to the Big Ass Runner Podcast, where we entertain and encourage trail runners from all over the world. Now, here's your host, Jeff the Jazzman Harold. Well, thank you, Steve, our audio engineer, Steve Saunders, doing the introduction for episode 86 what can't steve do that's actually the question well welcome to the big ass runner podcast my name is jeff harrell this is episode number like i said 86 and we have a great show for you today last episode we introduced a brand new segment called inside the herd Andy Allen was our very first Inside the Herd guest, and we have another one today. You are going to absolutely love it. You will be inspired, motivated, and all the all the things. I know you're going to enjoy that. And in segment, and that's segment two. In segment one, we're going to talk a little bit about the Barkley Marathons. I think a lot of you guys follow that. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened out at the Frozen Head State Park there in Tennessee. But before we get to that, you know that one of our awesome partners is Path Projects. That's been no secret. I talk about them all the time because I loved their gear and their apparel way before we were even in a partnership together. But I want to highlight something. So the other day, we went on a run on a Saturday morning. It was myself, Timmy Time, Steven, and our buddy Richard. And we quickly noticed that we were all wearing the same shorts. It was the Path Project's Graves shorts, the Graves PX. And why that's important and why we like that particular style or model, I don't know exactly why we love specifically the Graves PX is because it's got the side pockets that you can zip and it also has the back pocket for your phone. So we thought it was funny. We were all wearing them. If you are looking for the absolute best running shorts, go no further than pathprojects.com. Check out the Graves PX. That's our favorites. They've got a lot of other varieties of shorts and shirts and all the all the great apparel there at pathprojects.com. But specifically, check out those Graves PX shorts. You will invest a little bit in some great quality. And I've had mine now for almost two years. I wear them pretty much every day with the different liners and absolutely love it. So check that out. The Graves PX shorts at pathprojects.com. But without further ado, we have such a great episode. I want to get right to it without further ado. Let's get going on episode number 86 of the big ass runner.
Well, I know a lot of you are aware of the Barkley Marathons, and if you have not or are not aware or have not seen these, two, there's two videos I would highly recommend you watch. First is the documentary. It's called The Barkley Marathons, The Race That Eats Its Young. You can actually watch that for free with ads on YouTube. Highly, highly recommend that. I probably watched that six times or so. The other is a video by The Ginger Runner, and you can also get this on YouTube for free. It's about an hour, 16 minutes. It's called Where Dreams Go to Die. It chronicles Gary Robbins and the Barkley Marathons back in 2018. It is an awesome, awesome video and just a little warning, heartbreaking, but just the resilience that you see from these folks that are taking on this course is absolutely amazing. But the Barclays just happened a couple weeks ago. And I think if you follow them like we do, you know that normally they take place about April 1st, but this year it was about three weeks earlier than normal. And it started midweek. And that was just a curveball that that Laz Lake, who runs the Barkley Marathons, threw in there, not as if you needed more difficulty to complete this. No one has finished this race in quite a while, and no one finished it this year. The course won again for the fifth year in a row. There were no finishers. And what's interesting is there was a lot of optimism because when it started, I believe on Wednesday, there were 36 runners that started it. There were some newbies. There were some veterans. There were a few that, I think there's one or two that had finished it before. Courtney Dewalter was running it for her second time. There was a lot of excitement Carl Saab, he's a Belgian dentist, just a phenomenal elite runner, was part of the field. And so there was a lot of optimism because in the first loop, and I'm referring, by the way, to an article in Ultra Runner Magazine, so I want to give total credit where credit is due on some of these notes. But after the first loop, there were 38 runners that started, 30 finished the first loop, and plenty of time to start the second loop. So the as I was following this and on Instagram and YouTube, there was just a lot of excitement that maybe we're going to get not maybe one finisher this year, but perhaps even multiple ones. However, Loop 2 was a little different story. The weather turned pretty bad. The freezing rain came, and that knocked out quite a few runners, including Courtney. There was a group still running into loop three, and that included uh, Carl Saab, British runner Jasmine Paris. We'll talk a little bit more about her here in a second. John Kelly. There's a New Zealander named Greg Hamilton, a Danish runner named Thomas Dunkerbeck. And so they took off on loop three. And if you guys know that loop, if you finish, there's five loops total. These are 20 something miles a piece through incredibly difficult, difficult terrain, very little markings. You get some navigation. You've got to collect these pages out of a book. You have a certain page number that you have to personally get out of each of these books. And if you complete three of the five, that's considered a fun run. Doesn't sound a lot of, like a lot of fun to me, but that's what they call a fun run. 
So there was a lot of optimism after loop one. After loop two, people started to realize this was going to be a really rough year because only five were able to start the fun run loop, which is loop three. And however, the good news is that of the five, Carl Sab, John Kelly, and Greg Hamilton were able to finish the fun run, the three loops, with time to start that fourth loop. Jasmine Paris was not able to start the fourth loop, but she did complete the third loop in time, which meant that she was able to complete the fun run. And that was the first time since I believe 2013 that a woman had finished the fun run. So that was very significant, very, very cool. She is a complete badass, by the way. So that left Sab, Kelly, and Hamilton. John Kelly, however, decided to face the bugler, which means he was out of the race. So there were two left jumping on that fourth loop. So everyone's watching. Everyone's excited. Are they going to finish the fourth, get onto the fifth? Are we going to get a winner this year? I was thinking as I was kind of keeping up to date with this, Carl Sab looked really good. And I think a lot of people thought, man, if, if anyone's going to finish this, it looks like he might. Unfortunately, as often is the case, he had some navigational issues on loop four. And in fact, there's so you can you can see this on social media, but the report came in that that he was being driven back by the sheriff's department because apparently he got Lost. And this, I'm actually going to read this from the post on Instagram. A police car pulled up to Frozen Head about 5 a.m. this morning. The sheriff had been called for a, quote, woman dressed as an Indian, unquote, who was scaring the village of Petros. It was Carl Sa Sab, and after getting lost on his fourth loop, and so the Barkley 2022 will not have a finisher. Greg Hamilton had already bowed out at that point. And so once again, the Barkley Marathon wins. No finishers. We will turn our attention to to next year and hope that someone will finish the Barkley Marathons. I would love for Courtney to be the first woman to do it. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. But in doing this research, I found that Laz Lake was on Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel about a year ago, talking about the Barkley Marathons. I don't know if you've watched that show before. It's on HBO. But there was a little preview clip on YouTube that I came across. Oh, that's interesting. I want to hear hear that, listen to that, watch that. And you're going to hear something from the interviewer that I think is going to catch your attention. See if you catch this. But I'm going to play it now. This is the about two-minute video segment from Real Sports talking about the Barkley Marathons. Look closely, if you can. This is not your average marathon. For one thing, it begins in the wee hours of the night, at a time that's kept secret until the last moment. This year, around 3 a.m. Ten minutes! Ten minutes! For another, it starts not with the firing of a pistol, but the lighting of a cigarette. But most of all, it's designed with a rather unusual goal, to ensure that nearly all of its participants fail. 
What percentage of the people who enter the Barclay race finish it? We shoot for around 1%. We don't want it to be impossible, but we want it to be really, really hard. How many of these athletes quickly understand and recognize that they, they are in way over their heads? <laughs> the first time around, people usually come to that realization fairly quick. They call him Lazarus Lake, Laz for short, a unique name befitting both this unusual man and the unusual race he's created. Are you a sadist? No. <laughs> what, what are you, if not that? People enjoy it. There's just some discomfort involved. Consider, this is what you'd find at a normal marathon. Comfort stations, where runners can stop, rest, and refuel at a nice buffet. This is what you'll find at the Barclay. A handful of water jugs dumped behind a tree. Which may or may not be drinkable, depending on the weather. Sometimes the water jugs that you leave for the, for the runners, like, freeze over. Yeah, then sometimes they have 58-pound blocks of ice. But, you know, life is not always fair. <laughs> Usually there are medical supplies in, in so many of the ultramarathon races. What do you offer? We have market? duct tape and Vaseline. Yeah, it'll fix about everything. Okay, did you catch it? She called the aid station a comfort station. Marcy Baser has been vindicated. She called it a comfort station where you stop, rest, and relax at a buffet. I almost feel like Marcy wrote that segment for Real Sports. I'm not real sure about that. But man, when I heard that, I was like, I've got to share that with the big-ass runner herd. Marcy Baser onto something, or at least in cahoots with HBO and their real sports segment. Well, hopefully you followed the Barkley. And again, highly, if you've not seen those two movies, highly recommend those two documentaries. Again, the Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young, free with ads on YouTube. And Ginger Runner's documentary that he did, called Where Dreams Go to Die. Check both those out if you want to learn more. Awesome, awesome documentaries. Well, that is our little recap. I want to get going because we have an amazing, amazing Inside the Herd coming up. Well, one of the things we absolutely love to do is to give shout-outs and kudos to the big-ass runners out there just making it happen. Today is a super-duper double special one. We have our youngest shout-out and kudo ever, Mike Benner's daughter. She's seven years old. Her name is Brooke, and she has fallen in love with trail running at seven years old, and she just completed her very first 1.5 mile fun run with Aravipa, which is amazing, Aravipa, one of the best uh, in terms of races I've been to. Fan they put on fantastic races. And she signed up to do her next two mile trail race on April 3rd. Mike says her mom and I are super proud of her. We are proud of you too, Brooke. Way to go. You get up at 6 a.m to log a mile or two before school. Are you serious? That is amazing. 
Brooke, we are super proud of you. We know you're absolutely going to crush this next two-mile trail race on April 3rd. Way to go. Big shout-out from the Big Ass Runners to Brooke. Way to go, Brooke. We love that this podcast really focuses on the Big S Runner Herd. It's always been about that. And when we came up with this idea for a segment called Inside the Herd, we were super excited. We debuted it last week, had Andy Allen on. He was amazing. Super excited to share with you the second ever Inside the Herd, this time with the great Kelly Black. You're going to love this. You're going to be inspired. Like I said in the open, inspired, motivated, moved. So amazing. Let's get going on the second ever segment of Inside the Herd. Well, joining us on the Big Ass Runner Hotline is the great, all the way from Minnesota, the great Kelly Black. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Super excited to be here. We sort of met at Bandera because you, I think it was your friend Emily, videoed you talking about the Chapa's pancakes. Is that Do I have that right? Yes. And we ran through your aid station twice, and they were two top-notch aid station experiences. <laughs> One was the pancakes, and then just coming through after midnight as we were finishing the 100K was Chapa Special. Oh, yes. The greatness of the Chapa Special, the mashed potatoes and broth. Did you have the, the sausage crumbled on top, or was that did you go without oh, that one? You know, after... <laughs> Probably didn't want sausage. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Whatever it was, it brought us to the finish line. That's for sure. Well, I saw that video that Emily did, and then we we connected over Instagram, and then I think you started listening to the show. We've had you do a few things over the last year, year and a half, and you've been so gracious. You did a really awesome piece for the encouragement episode. I, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. And then we kind of reconnected a little bit, or actually got to meet each other actually in person about a month and a half ago down in Arizona because we were both doing a Black Canyon Ultra. I was doing that Saturday race. You were doing the Sunday race, and we actually got to meet in person. Yes, which you saved our butt. <laughs> we we had quite the travel day, and we were bummed that we couldn't make it to the expo. <laughs> expo, yeah, to the expo, and we weren't able to get our bids, but Big Ash Trail Dad to the rescue. <laughs> Super great to, to be able to meet your wife, Allison, as well. Yes. So the expo was on Friday, the day before the 100K started. And Kelly, you were trying to fly in on Friday. And I, I got I to give you kind of a pat on the back because you had a very rough travel day. I think your flights got canceled, got delayed, and you you finally made it, but then your luggage didn't show up. But <laughs> but you were just a trooper. Like when we saw you that night, when we when you handed your your bibs and stuff, you you were just happy as you could be. It didn't seem like you were super ups. Like I would be freaking out, wondering where where's my my naked belt. You know, I just uh, wouldn't know what to do with myself. But you were calm, cool, collected. You know, it it wasn't the first time that it's happened to me. I've I've had the opportunity to to do quite a bit of international travel, and I actually ended up in Nicaragua once, and my bag didn't come until the eleventh day that I was there. Oh my and goodness! So <laughs> I've gained some life skills and uh, can uh, adapt and adjust when 
the said luggage does not arrive. I'm assuming it showed up on Saturday. Did it show up? You know, it showed up right after we did kind of our shakeout warm-up run. We went up to one of the trails where we were staying and so made a quick stop at Target to get some active wear. And then once we got back, thankfully, the luggage arrived. So I had race shoes and, and all the, the things I actually needed. Awesome. And how did that race go for you? You know, it was actually the the first race since I finished my 100 miler last fall. And I hadn't done a ton of running leading up to it. So I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I kind of was cruising on the training that I had put in from the last three years and didn't do a ton before it. So I was really out there just to enjoy the, you know, coming from Minnesota, the, the warmer temps and the change in scenery. I actually originally was born in Phoenix, Arizona and hadn't been back to Arizona since. And so I was just curious to get out to a new trail and goal was to finish, which I did. So there's more in between, but yes, it was, it was all right. We had the same goal because it was, you had the same heat I had. I think both days were equally hot and it, it did get hot. And so, yeah, just finishing that race to me was a huge accomplishment because a lot of people didn't do that. I'm a Minnesota girl um, through and through. So I don't do super great in heat. I mean, I don't, I don't mind it, but I mean, there were points midday where it got so hot that I was dreaming of sub-zero temperatures. <laughs> no doubt. I was, it was warm. I'm from Texas and I was doing the same thing. So I totally understand. Well, you mentioned Minnesota, so I'd love to talk a little bit about where you are you know, right now. Tell us a little bit about your life, your family, that sort of thing. Yeah, you bet. So I I am located in northern Minnesota, so just south of Duluth. And Duluth is right on the tip of the Great Lake of Superior. So we, we've got some, some great trails and park systems around where we are. So I originally grew up in this area and moved back about four years ago. Um, prior to that, I was living in the, the Twin Cities area of Minnesota. And then prior to that was in Wisconsin. And so kind of come full circle back to my my stomping grounds and brought my my husband and my kiddos with me. And so we we've kind of put down our roots here. We recently um, built our our forever home, if you will. And yeah, we're we love where we live. And got some great kiddos. We love doing things outside and they often will join me on, on some runs and hikes and that kind of thing. That's awesome. And I, I followed your, your home building kind of process on Instagram. It's just a, a beautiful house. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, we had, we had bought land years ago and it was something that we'd been dreaming on for a number of years. And it was kind of a joke as when my hundred miler got canceled the first year and then we went into our build and, I don't recommend building a house in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> it comes with <laughs> no. some challenges. But my sister had made a comment. She's like, as we were continuing to run into some challenges with our build, she's like, and you thought running 100 miles was going to be your biggest challenge this year. That's right. And so it was It was a whole year of lots of challenges. And there's some that we could talk about later rolling right into 2022. So and good character and persevering building. Absolutely. And you mentioned that you, you said you were born in Arizona. What got you from Arizona up, up north? Yeah, great question. So my, my dad's originally from Ohio, and my mom was originally from northern Minnesota, and they both kind of 
fled home and um, both ended up in Arizona. They were down there for various reasons, work and school, and they met. That's where my parents met and got married. And my older sister and I were both born there. And then through a series of things with my parents and my grandmother who had cancer, they ended up moving back up north. And somewhere in between there, my parents got pregnant with my youngest sister. And then we we just put our roots down in, in northern Minnesota, and that's where we grew up. And my dad was a Cleveland city boy turned into northern Minnesota farmer, quickly <laughs> got cows. And, and so we I grew up on the farm, uh, something that my parents did. Neither of them had farmed before, but quickly we got cows and horses, and I'm a 4-H kid. And so, awesome. Uh, yeah, I grew up in the country. So it sounds like your mom went out in terms of where they're going to plant their roots. It ended up in Minnesota, not Ohio. Yep. <laughs> awesome. And did you grow up athletic? Did you do a lot of, of different sports and things like that? Because I know you've done 100 miler, 100 Ks, all, all those things. Were you an athlete growing up? Yes, no, I wasn't at all. <laughs> I was not athletic. You know, I did play softball, which I really enjoyed. But I I don't, believe it or not, I I don't have a whole lot of competitiveness in my body. <laughs> like I, I'm not, that doesn't drive me. I wasn't competitive in school with other things. And so I'm excited to share with you a little bit more about what drives me in running, but played softball just really casually rode horses showed, but it was always just, you know, for fun. I enjoyed a good trail ride on the horses, but my sister showed a little bit more with the horses, but no, we weren't a big sports family. We were I mean, definitely physically active in terms of work on the farm. Like I could fix a good fence and I learned how to weld at a young age. I hunted with my dad and we bailed hay every summer. Oh, that's <laughs> but awesome. As far as athletic sports, you know, didn't do much of that in high school or college. Round round bales or square? You know, we threw the rounds, but we did bail. We, we threw the square bales, but we did do round bales too. Yep. Well, my dad... Owned, owned a farm in East Texas. So I'd like to say I'm as probably handy as you around the farm. I'm certainly not. I'm definitely a city boy, but, but we'd go, that's where my grandparents lived out in East Texas. And we'd go in and shred and do some of that hay hauling too. So I know enough about it to sound somewhat competent, I guess. <laughs> well, so then how did you weren't necessarily in, in sports? Cause a lot of times I think we see this progression where people were, they find <laughs> obstacle course races or things like that. So I'm wondering how did you get, cause whenever you tell someone I ran a hundred mile or like, what's wrong with you? How did you get from, you know, not really being in sports to, to run, trail running? Yeah, you know, it, it goes back to uh, probably my earlier days in college. Uh, much of my running stemmed from just trying to find a way to take care of myself more of in the mental health capacity. Um, when I left home, I I went out to college about three hours or so away. And it wasn't really until I left home that I realized that there were parts of my family dynamics that were pretty dysfunctional and not really healthy. Mm. And so I, I really wrestled with depression and anxiety at the beginning of college. And there was a trail behind my dorm. It was a paved trail, uh, but I'd go out there and it was along the river. And I just found myself starting you know, to walk and run a little bit. I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but I, I felt peace out there. I just, I felt like when studies in life felt like too much or overwhelming, I would just go out there and 
and running really started for me like a as a running away from things and it wasn't until discovered some you know counseling and worked through my schooling and started on a, a path of you know like healing for myself that I, I found the joy of running a little bit later I would say probably post college I had a group of people at a church that I had gotten involved in that were training for a half marathon and it was for a with an organization called Alpha. So I joined them and we trained together. So it was really great to have people to run with on the weekends and on community. And after I finished that half marathon, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was something I never thought that I'd be able to do. Didn't consider myself a runner at all. And I got this idea in the back of my head. I was like, well, if I could run a half marathon, my still go for the full marathon. I'm halfway there. Right. So, so I just, I kept going. And along the way, I was introduced to an organization called Adventure and they um, bike, hike, run, you know, do all these things for different justice initiatives. So fighting human trafficking and funding feeding programs, bringing awareness just for the injustices in the world. And that, that really lit a fire in me. And, um, that's where my running really flipped from running away from things that were difficult to doing hard things for people in hard places. And mm-hmm. I felt a lot of purpose in that. And so from there, I, I ran full marathon. After that, I ran across the state of Colorado from Wyoming to New Mexico with a team from the venture organization. Oh my goodness. And- <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was back in 2016. And so it wasn't until after that, that, and that was something that I had wanted to do. They were doing across the state events over the summer and they had ran across Minnesota and I thought, oh, I want to do that. And then the year that I was actually considering, they didn't do Minnesota and they're like, we're going to run across Colorado. And uh, (laughs) you're like, is that, is that longer than Minnesota? Like you're doing some math all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, definitely longer and more elevation. And so my friend Paul, who's executive director, reached out and he's like, Kelly, I think this is right up your alley. And my husband had interned with them in college and the founders actually went to college with him. And so our older two were pretty young at the time. My oldest, I think, was three. And my daughter was was like one and a half. And so I'm like, no, there's no way I could go. And my husband was super supportive and was like, Kelly, you got to do this. Just go. And so it was like a 10-day trip. And we ran in kind of a relay style, but each group would run at least three legs of five to seven miles each a day. Wow. So that was the longest amount of running I had ever done. And after that, I was just itching for more. I was like, I know there's something more. And it was after that that I... I heard the word ultra and I had no idea what it meant or what it was, but I'm like, I'm going to run one. (laughs) And so uh, that was back in 2016. And it was, it was like right in my first trimester of my youngest Lily. When I got pregnant with her, I put together a plan and in my head, it was already done. I said, I'm running a hundred mile ultra marathon and I've got my three year training plan, like broken up in my head as far as the, markers that I would need to make uh, achieve the years leading up to that before I could do it. And there was a little 
pause in there with one of the COVID years in terms of getting that year, that race bumped back a year, but I followed it and I, I did it. And was Bandera part of that running plan? Was that leading up to that hundred mile race? It was. Yeah. Because that year, all of the races that I had registered for was planning to run up to the 100 miler were canceled. And so I have amazing friends through venture and through running that put on one, uh, one of my friends put on a hundred K race for me. She just made it up in the mountains of Idaho. (laughs) And so I had done that one, but I hadn't done like an official hundred K. And so Bandera was my first like official hundred K race prior to the hundred miler. So great. Well, there, there's a few things that you said I thought were, were really powerful. One is running for purpose. I think that does change our perspective when we're just running for ourselves. That that's can be great. But when you start running for others, I think if we're running for that purpose, that's when, to me, it really gets powerful and meaningful. And the other thing that you mentioned was was a group. That's the same with me. I, I'd never run. I was a basketball player. And I'm not a runner's size, but when I had a group of people that wanted to do a marathon or had done one and, and was training for another one and wanted me to be a part of it, it was like, okay, I, I think I can do this. Let's let's join this group. So I think you know having that purpose and having that group is so important. But I want to go back to something else you say. I think it's interesting because you, you mentioned that you first started running and you were kind of running from something. And I think as people are listening to this – they may resonate with that. Like, you know, that's, that's me now, or, you know, that's been me and I've struggled with that. I'm I'm curious, was it counseling or was it something else that kind of helped you change that perspective of, of running from something to running either to something or running for purpose? Yeah, you bet. I mean, I, th- I think it was a number of things. So in college, so my, my undergrad studies was in human development and family studies with more of a concentration in at-risk families and substance use. And so growing up, I had um, a, a parent who struggled with substance use and that, you know, changes the family dynamics quite a bit. And being an adult child of an alcoholic, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with that, that you, it's hard to unpack when you don't know, was it my fault? What right. wasn't my fault? And understanding that through my coursework and through counseling and all those things, understanding that, you know, my parents also had, you know, things that they're working through. And so for myself, I went on a journey of forgiveness. And in college was a time when I really came to find my own faith and spirituality, which is a big part of my life and is a big part of my running. And so that's around that time when I started running more and getting into longer distances, I found that's where I felt closest to God was when I was running. Mm. Um, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church. A lot of the times, you know, whether Bible studies or wherever I would feel out of place <laughs> or like yeah. feel like I didn't know the information or, or things like that. And, but running, I felt like I was out there. I love being out in nature and I just felt at home and going through a, a process of forgiving, you know, past hurts and things. It really allowed me to go forward instead of running away from and just continuing to see myself get healthier, not only physically, but also mentally and my thoughts and relationships get better. It helped me keep moving forward. 
That's awesome. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think that that's one thing about, well, there, there can, it can be true for a lot of things, but trail running, it seems like it's true for, which is you, you said it, it's not just about, you know, the, the physical healing, but the, the mental, the emotional and the spiritual can happen too. And so I think that's what makes for me anyway, trail running so powerful. Well, you mentioned your family. I know Kelly, your family's not quite complete yet. Do you mind if, if you don't mind me asking a little bit about your son that, that hasn't quite come home yet? You mind tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, me and my husband and our, our family, we've been in the process of pursuing international adoption for, well, really since 2018, when our youngest was one, we really felt stirred to adopt. We always felt like we would have four children and that one of them would become a part of our family through adoption. And so we, we started, you know, praying what that would look like and, you know, do we adopt, adopt, you know, domestically or internationally? And, you know, we weren't sure. And we were led to the, the profile of a, of a little boy. And the best way I can explain it is the first time that I saw him. I this wave this the floodgates opened mm. and I I knew he was my son and it was the very same experience or feeling that I felt when when each of my biological children were born and I saw them for the first time. Wow. And at that time we had no idea, you know, like you know, we didn't know anything about them, but you know, fast forward and Exploring with our agency, we came to learn that um, he lives in China, and at the time he was two and a half, living with Down syndrome and looking, you know, needing a family. And so we we started to pursue the process. Some of the program requirements required that your, the youngest child in your home be three, and so our youngest was one at the time. So we started what we could. And but had a a sense of urgency, and so we kept moving forward. Our, our agency allowed us to submit you know, certain paperwork when our youngest was two and a half to keep things going, and things were moving forward. And so we were tentatively scheduled to travel November of 2020 mm. um, to bring him to bring him home. And in just before that was when the pandemic really started to hit and explode all over the world. And then the program came to a screeching halt. There were other families who were literally about to board the plane the next day to go bring their children home. And the doors of the program with travel being canceled and everything just stopped. And so we've been waiting since then. Wow. Yet the pandemic impacted so many things, but there's things like this that you don't even you know realize. There's there's families that are that are not together because of of the pandemic, and I don't know what the situation now is, uh, Kelly. But what, what's what's the latest? Where where are you guys at right now? Yeah, unfortunately, there hasn't really been any updates. Our our agency has been told by the the country that they would resume the program when they deem it safe to do so for the children. And there's no parameters that were given around that. What does that mean? Does that mean, you know, positive case numbers or vaccinations or anything? There was nothing. And so we we continue to wait. We occasionally, probably 
twice a year maybe gets updates on Judah, getting to see little glimpses into how he's doing and what his day-to-day life looks like. But besides that, there isn't really any communication from inside the country. Well, I know we're you are hopeful and prayerful, and now you know, with being able to share this with the Big Ass Runner Herd, you've probably got a lot of people now hopeful and prayerful, and, and just, we know someday there's going to be a, a homecoming for Judah, and we can't wait for that day, and we hope that it's sooner rather than later, but if it's later, then we just hope it's some, at some point that does happen, and I know that's that's your hope, too. Yeah, and I I kind of joke around like well, when he is coming home, everyone will know about it <laughs> <laughs> because I don't think I had shared this yet. But when I was training for my hundred miler, initially pre pre pandemic, my training and our adoption timeline was running parallel, and so initially I was in 2020 was going to run the hundred miler in September and then have our you know in an ideal world, have our flights all scheduled, and we would then travel to bring him home that November. And as that all shuffled around, so did my training and my why, or, you know, visualizing that finish. And I think you may have shared this before, but when I was running my 100 miler, I had pinned a picture of Judah from his fifth birthday, we were able to send him a cake, and he had cake all over his face and a big crown on his head. And so I took that picture and I, I pinned it on the back of my hydration pack and he was with me every mile of those hundred miles, hundred miles. And that was a huge part of my motivation and my drive for that race. And since then, I was kind of at a loss for where to go with my running because for so long that had been part of my why and my plan. And so just before the, the new year, I thought, well, I'm I don't want to put too many big grandiose plans together as far as races this year because I want to be able to drop everything and travel at a moment's notice as soon as um, travel restrictions are lifted and the, the program resumes. And so I had just decided, you know, one one mile a day, every day, doesn't matter if it's in the dark, if how cold it is. I don't have a gym membership or um, a treadmill. And so sub-zero temps is usually what it is around here throughout the winter. And so every day I have run one mile just as a a commitment to myself and to him that I'm going to keep showing up even when it's hard, even when I'm tired, even when I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like, just to continue that commitment. And so that's, that's been my motivation since the start of this this year and some know it as streaking <laughs> fully closed of course <laughs> streaking fully closed well that's an amazing commitment and i know there is going to be a day when judah does does come home and that that is going to be a huge celebration there's no doubt about that well you mentioned it a little bit so you're you're running one at least one mile a day kind of with that commitment is is that related to your why is your why change is it still kind of really focused on bringing Judah home what what's your why right now yeah i would say you know right in in the forefront absolutely it's it's judah but one of the things that i had envisioned for myself and my family when i leading up to the very first marathon that i did so that was back in 2012 I completed my first 
marathon. And I remember we were, I was hoping that we would have started to have a family by that time. And it had taken us a little while. And it wasn't until after the race that I realized I actually was pregnant. So I ran my very first marathon, eight weeks pregnant. Wow. Um, <laughs> and so from there, I, I had a goal of running a marathon for each of my kids and then having that medal. So when they were old enough, or you know, if if they wanted to, that I would be able to invite them to run a marathon with me. Uh-huh. And so I want I had that vision of long a longevity of being active, so that I could one day do that with my kids. And I've I've thought a lot about well, what does that mean uh, with Judah? I, and I don't know. Um, some of our updates that we've gotten, um, he's not able to walk stairs right now. But knowing that, you know, with with proper therapies and things, there may be absolutely no limits, you know, on, on what he can do and accomplish. Um, you know, knowing that he's living with Down syndrome that comes with some challenges, but that doesn't mean that there are limitations on what he can do. So I'm not, I'm not going to put that out there on, on him, but it may look differently. And knowing that maybe, maybe it's pushing in a stroller or running with a sled. Cause that's, <laughs> Yeah. I've got some my sights on some winter ultras, but I want to be able to to do that, and so that's part of it from a family standpoint. But really, um, that drive for justice within me, I think, is a big part of my why. I'm exploring possibly running a hundred mile out in Nepal um, with wow. with the the venture organization that I had mentioned, and that's really uh, to help support. Um, women who are who are being pulled into trafficking and um, what we can do to help get them rescued and help with uh, restoring their lives and providing healing and and practical help and so those are the things that I think help keep me going of really it may feel tough and hard in the moment whatever you know goal we choose right we get to choose to do it it's not something we have to do but knowing that um, there's, there's people in a lot of tough places that they don't get to choose, you know, things were chosen for them. And if through my, you know, legs and tough things, if that inspires someone to have a greater awareness for the difficult things in the world and encourages and inspires someone to do something about it, then, then it's worth it. Well, I can tell you, you're, you're inspiring many people just listening, listening to you just describe that. And, I can tell you, you you do not turn down a challenge. I feel like there's just hearing all these these big things you're doing and the the things that you want to do and the intentionality with your children and the things that you want to do for Judah, super inspiring. So thank you for sharing that. Well, Kelly, knowing that you're you were facing these hard challenges, I, I almost wonder what you have for the rest of the year. What what are your plans in terms of races or things that you want to get accomplished? Yeah, you know, after after the Black Canyon 60k, you know, great to kick off the the year, the start of the year with with an ultra. And uh, for the rest of the year, I'm planning on staying, you know, a bit closer to home. Uh, we've got some really great races right here in in my backyard, and so there's a few that I do every year. Uh, we have the Kernow Trail Marathon, and then kind of a, a sister race to it, the Voyager 50 Miler, and I've, I've done those a number of times and so I'm thinking, I'm not sure which one I'm going to do yet, or maybe 
You do both. They're like two weeks apart. Um, <laughs> Something tells but, me you might try that. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might try both. But as far as kind of my A race for this year, mid-October, we have the, the Wild Duluth 100K. And I had attempted this race back in 2019 as part of, you know, my plan for the Superior 100 miler. And it's a tough race. It's along 99% of the course is along the Superior Hiking Trail on some of the most rugged, rocky trail. And I, I think that the elevation gain is like 10,000 feet. Mm. And I had gotten through most of the race and it, I was at the, the last aid station. As I was coming up to it, I heard the buzzer and I missed the cutoff. Oh, no. Like, like, minutes and so i remember that was that was rough because i thought you know if i can't do this 100k how am i going to do the 100 miler and a lot of people said it was a a lot tougher so now having completed the 100 miler i'm gonna go back and try to get some redemption on this 100k the wild Duluth 100k this october love it my plan love it have no doubt you will. You will succeed. <laughs> well, let's transition, and we're going to ask these same, and I call this the fartlek round. I stole that from the Black Canyon Chasing the Gold series. I admitted to that when we did Andy's Inside the Herd last week. But I want to ask you these questions. These are just hard-hitting, just deep-digging questions. <laughs> Favorite running or trail running or workout song? Oh, song. You know, I don't listen to a whole lot of music when I run. Occasionally, I listen to this really awesome podcast. It's called The Big Ass Trail All right. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton of music that I run to. There's one one song that will really get me, you know, grooving. It's called Ring, Ring the Bells by Johnny Swim. Mm. And it's got more of a justice theme to it and a really good, like, yeah, like you hear it and you just kind of want to take off. And probably not good to run on too long or you totally get off tempo and get too tired. Yes. But it's, it's a fun song. There's a song by my favorite running song is a song by POD called Boom. I think a lot of people probably heard it. But what I like about it, it it's it's fast tempoed, but there's a spot, there's a, there's a part in the song where it says, is that all you got? I give it my best shot. I'm like that when it, when things are really hard during a run. I, I'd planned on playing it at Black Canyon, but I just decided I didn't want any music. But that is that all you got kind of thing. Like is that all you got? Because you know I can take more kind of a thing. I think that was what inspired me for that song. So yeah, good one. Okay, do you have any go to running shoes? Shoes. Yeah, I'm a I'm an ultra gal. Oh I yeah. I've got some wider feet, and so I appreciate the wider toe box. The Superior Ultras are probably my favorite, and then the Lone Peak. Nice. Yeah, I started in Ultras, but my foot would just slide too far forward. I don't know. They just didn't, you know, it, shoes are like one of those things. It, it's just a personal thing. Does it fit your foot well? And sometimes some brands do, others don't. So Ultras, lo- love it. What about favorite trail? Favorite trail. Ooh, we got a lot of good ones around here. I mean, the probably one that I spend majority of the time on, the Superior Hiking Trail, which I'm not sure how many folks on the podcast are familiar with that trail, but it's it's over 300 miles of trail along northern Minnesota. Oh, that's so awesome. 
Yeah, there's a lot of great races on it. So there's endless amounts on there. That would probably be one of my favorite go-tos. Love it. What about favorite piece of gear? Piece of gear. Hmm. A good question. I, I love buffs, you know, or, you know, neck gaiters or whatever you want to call them. Yep. I use them for everything. I wear them in the winter and the summer around my wrists, around my head. Around, <laughs> I feel like there's so much that you can do with them. I, you know, I tuck ice in them to keep, you know, me cool in the summer and wear them in the winter to keep me warm. So that's probably one of my faves. That's a good one. Yeah, because it is so it's so versatile. Like you said, I, in, in Texas, we'll wear them on our wrists because we're just swiping sweat off our face all the time. And and yeah, you know, and when it's cold, then it usually goes around my neck just to keep the wind off and you know, cold being relatively speaking compared to Minnesota. But you know, yeah, buffs, super versatile. That's a good one. That's an idea of the new merch for get a, a big ass trailer in your buff. There you go. You, you need to be my, my merchant hype person, I think. I feel like there's, that's, a, that's a calling of yours. <laughs> now, you can't say, I guess you could say, but I'm, I'm going to say, don't say the pancakes or the choppa special. What's your favorite aid station food? Well, those were good. I mean, oh. I, I do enjoy a good hot pancake, especially on those ultras where you're running through the night or coming, you know, coming through in the morning, having hot food is really nice. Yes. But yeah, but like, I, like you said, especially those late, those late hours, you're like just something warm in my tummy. Yeah. If it's a shorter ultra, I go to, uh, ginger ale and potato chips are my jam. Like it's like a secret sauce. It just works every time. And so pretty basic, but gotta have them. Well, you get the sodium and you get the ginger to settle the tummy. It's a perfect combo. Yeah. Now you're at the grocery store and maybe a couple of items find themselves into the cart that, you know, maybe not be the healthiest. Any, what are, what are your kind of guilty pleasure foods? Mm. So my husband does the majority of the grocery shopping. And so <laughs> he's sweet enough to slip some of those things in, in there for me sometimes. But I found that it's usually when I'm on a girls weekend, you know, we're, we're doing a trail running race or whatever. The things I get almost every single time is probably the, the Aussie licorice, the red licorice. The thick oh, stuff. okay. Yeah. Love it. Nice. The Aussie licorice. Got to try that. It's good. Okay. What about, do you have a bucket list race? Just a race you're like, someday I want to do that race. Yeah. You know, there's, there's probably a number of them, but one that's really been kind of itching in the back of my mind more recently is some of the winter ultras. And we've got a few of them up here in Northern Minnesota. There's the Tuscobia 80 miler or 160 miler. You can choose one of the distances or the Arrowhead 135. And both of those races, you can choose to do them on cat tire bike, running, like pulling a sled, or they. I think they have ski, cross-country skiing as well. Wow. But you have to have all of your gear with you. So you've got to boil your water because, uh, I mean, the temps are usually sub-zero. So it's a totally different type of preparing that you need to do for those races. But I, I've had a number of friends do them over the, the years and watching. I'm just like something about it gets me kind of excited. <laughs> people, another reason people look at you like, what? Like, what about that sounds fun? But 
a different kind of challenge. I was going to say, it sounds hardcore, and I'm not surprised you want to do that one. <laughs> All right. Well, in terms of hydration, I'm, I'm, this is more like curiosity. I've just noticed that people tend to have preferences. Either they have like they like the handheld, they like a vest, or I've gone to the belt. Do you have a preference? Yeah, I, I feel like I've gotten it down to a good rhythm. Like when I first started running, I, I wore a water belt and I, I I could never get it like figured out right. The bottle was always like dripping all over me and I was soaked and it just, it didn't feel right. Um, I love my vest. Absolutely love it. But I think with the runs that I do, typically if it's, shorter than 10 miles or less than two hours, I have a, a handheld that I, I run with. If it's longer than, than two hours, I almost always wear my hydration vest. Interesting. I, I've got, for, Stephen's one of these that he cannot have anything in his hands. He does not like to have any, and I'm kind of the same way. I, I can I can have a handheld for those shorter runs. I've actually gone to the belt just because it doesn't pull me forward like I feel like the vest does, but that's awesome that you can go back and forth. Versatile. Well, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned that you do not have a gym membership, but I'm curious, do you, do you have a cross training? If you're not running and you're doing some cross training, is there something that you like to do? Yeah, good question. So, I I guess I have to take that back. So, I don't I don't have a gym membership or I haven't had one, but actually this morning was my first class at CrossFit. And so I, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been thinking about, you know, that wild blue, that 10,000 feet of elevation gain and the strength needed. And, you know, honestly, I work, I work full time remote from home. And so I am a people person. I love being around people. And so working full time remote in the midst of a pandemic has been really hard not being able to see people outside of, you know, the the tiny humans that I live with, who I love dearly, but I just need some more like adult interaction. And so I had done CrossFit probably like five years ago when I was training to run across Colorado and I loved it. And so I was checked out a place here in Duluth and actually just started this morning. So I'm not going to be able to walk tomorrow, (laughs) but Super, super excited about it. Now, Kelly, are you sure you're up for the challenge of a CrossFit gym? I just don't know if you like a big <laughs> challenge. I just, <laughs> if anything fits you, it's probably a CrossFit because I actually did it for six or seven years. I loved it. I just felt like I got, I kind of aged out of it a little bit, but it, it's a great, it's a great workout, especially if you can find a box that really teaches the fundamentals and technique really well. I think, I think it's awesome. Yeah. So far, so good. Awesome. Well, yeah. It, Talk to me tomorrow when you can't walk. That is truly, yeah. <laughs> truly the case, especially if you're doing squats. It's like, oh my goodness, can't walk. Well, this is the last question and probably the most interesting, I think. And I've not, just want to warn listeners, I'm not giving Kelly any heads up on this. So you may have to think for a second. But if there was a movie and Kelly Black was in the movie, who would play you? What actress would play you? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> no idea. Can I phone a friend? You can phone a friend. <laughs> yeah, you know, I enjoy a good movie, but like knowing actresses' names and all that, that's not my forte. So you, I, I don't think I have an answer. That's fine. 
you're, you're kind of like the you're the movie version of the musical Steven doesn't know any music so you don't know actresses that's totally fine Pro- and probably quite healthy quite honestly <laughs> it's got to be just some badass actress do you know who I thought of when I was to kind of think about through these questions with you uh, you may be too young to remember the the first Terminator but Linda Hamilton was in that and she was just such such a badass I'm like that that would be Kelly that would be just just knocking stuff over running over things just making it happen getting stuff done Well, Kelly, this has been a true joy. You are such an inspiration. Thanks so much for just your transparency and your willingness to share with us. And I want to give people an opportunity to connect with you. You haven't already connected with Kelly on Instagram. And by the way, your Instagram handle is so appropriate. Her handle is love goes the distance all together at love goes the distance. Thanks so much for, for joining the show and man, just, just appreciate you so much. Well, thank you, Jeff. And really, thanks for creating this this space in this community, because someone who has run a hundred miler, I very much feel like an everyday runner. And sometimes I, <laughs> I almost embarrassed to say I don't feel like a runner, but I know I am. And it's, I have felt at home in this community and in this space that we're all in different places. And to even think that my story or what I have done encourages someone else is pretty cool. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to share a little bit about my journey. Absolutely. I hope it inspires someone else. It, it certainly will. Absolutely. And by the way, you're hired as my hype person. Thank you so much. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, appreciate those kind words. Appreciate you. And uh, just ha- have a great rest of your, what is it? Where are we in the spring? Have a great rest of your spring and, and let me know how you're, how you're walking tomorrow. You bet, Deb. Thanks. <laughs> See you. Bye. Well, believe it or not, that is the end of episode number 86 of The Big Ass Runner. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks to everyone involved, to Steve Summer Sausage Saunders, who not only is our amazing audio engineer, but also did the intro this week. Thank you, Steve. Also, big shout out and kudo to Brooke for crushing those goals, for getting up in the morning before school and logging those miles. We know you're going to do great on that two-mile trail race you've got coming up in April. And then of course, a huge thank you to Kelly Black for joining us on Inside the Herd. I was just so inspired, motivated, and you're you're just such a authentic and purpose-driven person. It just rubs off. So thank you so much, Kelly, for being with us and for sharing that and for just being so transparent. And we know Judah's coming home soon and we are praying for that reality to happen very, very soon. Well, as always, thanks to our amazing partners. I've mentioned Path Projects. Have you gone to pathprojects.com yet and ordered your shorts or any other, the the t-shirts too, by the way. I wear wear them every day. Probably shouldn't know that because I do wash them occasionally, but they are amazing. Also, getsaltybritches.com. If you want chafing ointment, chafing cream that is going to work, go to GetSaltyBridges.com, put in Big Ass Runner to get 20% off. And then VanderJacket.com, the best running jackets and vests that there are, VanderJacket.com. 
Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us. We so appreciate you listening. Get out there, hit those trails, and keep running your asses off. finished the fun run so that was very significant that was very significant we have our very young we have our youngest she signed up to do her next two mile trail her next doing sports or competitive and they want to get that competitive fire as they get a little bit older and they find obstacle course obstacle steve there's a little blooper for you was <coughs> sorry got a little, <coughs> a little frog in my throat sorry about that this is undoubtedly the seediest bunch of cutthroats, villains, and scoundrels I have ever seen, so who hired them? Huh? Go, Mayhem!